It's that time of year, folks. Max Fun Drive is coming up, and you can help. Tell Max Fun what our show means to you. If you want to do that, and we would really like it if you did, you can email us at memberstories at maximumfun.org, or you can call, like an old, like me, 323-601-8719. We'll probably handle compliments well. Probably. We can't guarantee. But I would love if people would call in because we want to hear your beautiful yes. voices. We want to hear your wonderful words spoken by yourselves. Cut a promo on us, please, but a kind one. Uh, so, yeah, call in with your stories about what Tights and Fight means to you. 323-601-8719 or email. We'll take an email. Memberstories at MaximumFun.org. Thank you. Tights and Fights Podcast. Welcome to Tights and Fights, the show that discusses wrestling with the sincerity and hilarity that it deserves. I'm Hal Loveland, and I'm joined today by my fellow members of the Nation of Conversation, Daniel Radford and Lindsay Kelk. We're doing things a little differently this week, folks, so strap in. We're taking the week off, all of us, because we deserve it, and so do you. And so we thought we'd avoid the news and settle on one topic for an early main event. Oh, Lord, here it is. (laughs) In case you haven't heard, WWE has at last recognized the tallest wrestler of the 2000s for the Hall of Fame, the great... Kali. This big, monstrous human being, everything Kali does is so devastating. Monster of a man. This mastodon. Good God Almighty King, the biggest man in the WWE. I'm going to say it again. The Great Kali is going into the WWE Hall of Fame. Yeah. Now, okay, let's look at this pragmatically. <laughs> he certainly helped open up a new market for WWE because he was a huge star in India. And then he came here and they pushed him to the top of the main event because he's real big. And he smacked people on the head for his finisher. And then it worked, but. He wasn't good at wrestling, and like the storyline that really got him over was him kissing girls. Kali says, "Welcome to a very special Valentine's Day edition of the Kali Kiss Cam." Oh, that's not what he said. That's right, but tonight we're going to do things a little different because Kali won't be the one doing the smooching. The great Kali is in the WWE <laughs> Hall of Fame. It was announced oh this week. Yeah. Let's talk about the very first time WWE created a match that he would forever be associated with. The Punjabi prison match from the 2006 Great American Bash. Now... I've been to a Punjabi prison match. I was at the one between Jinder Mahal and Randy Orton. And when I saw a Punjabi prison match, the first thing I did in the text thread was try to remember Jinder Mahal's name. 
and it was a challenge. Bless him. Listener, believe me when I tell you, it was a challenge. This is from someone who loved the idea of giving him the belt, did not love the idea of him feuding with Randy Orton for it for what felt like 28 years. Uh, here's the here's how the Punjabi prison match works. Mm. There are two structures made of bamboo, one surrounding the other. So it's like there's a cage, bamboo cage around the ring, then a bamboo cage around the bamboo cage. Java it has four doors, one on each side, any of which can be opened at the request of either wrestler. After 60 seconds, the door is locked and cannot be reopened. So, you know, door A, if you don't make it out, it closes and that's done. Then you have to make it through each structure. You got to make it out of the first prison, either via the doors or climbing over the top. Guess which happens. The first wrestler to escape both structures wins. Now here's the thing, the match I went to, I got very a uh, friend of mine who worked for WWE or had worked for WWE got me floor seats, so I got folding chairs. I have a folding chair with Jinder Mahal's name face on it, Jinder and and Randy Orton commemorating the Punjabi prison match. Priceless, priceless yeah. family heirloom there. And I could not see a damn thing happening in there, and it was okay. It wasn't even the worst match that night because they had that flag match with John Cena. That was the worst match of the night. But this one, holy. I mean, it's not, there's nothing, it's not, and (laughs) in that match, who would come out and interfere? Future WWE Hall of Famer, the great Khali. Great Khali is here, and Randy Orton, Randy Orton, the match You're talking about a shock. Orton's got no choice but Randy Orton is shaking the, he's shaking the structure. Oh my God. I mean, has there ever been a more, convoluted piece of shit put together ever in the history. I mean, yes, absolutely. Of course it has. Of course Turkey it has. I'll still say Elimination Chamber. Dominic on a pole But match. there's some beautiful simplicity to a Turkey on a pole match. You know, I'm like, I know what that is. Um, it doesn't make me ask questions about when I'm watching it. But like, is this racist? And like, I, have, I ask, I am a white lady. I ask myself that a lot because it turns out the answer to that question is so often yes when I didn't even know. Um, and it's an important question to ask ourselves. But it's just like, I'm watching it being like, wait, I... I well, mm? um, and it, it maybe it did give me pause. Where I'm like, I'm not sure if this is an appropriate name for this match, uh, apart from the alliteration, which we all enjoy. Um, yeah, I I know I watched at least the Jinder Mahal and Randy Orton match in real time, and yet mm-hmm. have managed to erase the memory of these matches from my brain. <laughs> completely it's not even a raise like they were excised they were removed they have been like removed when i rewatched them so we could talk about it i was like <laughs> ah, would you would you look at that and i wish i'd had your explanation of it how before i watched them because they're, you know, they're not good when they announced that first match he wasn't in it he had hepatitis c he had a, te- a pending test he didn't have hep c he had a hep c test pending it was written out in favor of the big show that's the funniest fucking thing I've ever um, heard. I'm sorry. Not 
the Hep C, obviously, but the fact that you build this yeah. uh, this match feels racist, looks like shit, and then you build it around one person, and then he's not even able to, to be this racist bitch. <laughs> Sorry, well, I, it's the funniest uh, fucking thing. I'm it was, so sorry. <laughs> the match was created by the guy who invented war games and the guy who invented right. the Royal Rumble. Dusty Rhodes and Pat Patterson but it's like, got together. You peaked, guys. Stop. Stop. You peaked. Sit down. Like, it's fine. It's so bad. It's It was oil and water. It just is bad. It's bad. It's bad. Khalid was in one of the matches. There have been three. I love taking risks. Take risks, please. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's still so funny. But yeah, just like, I, they feel so bad for like the company that had to make the cages too. It's like, they must have spent so much money on this. And you remember, like, I, I just imagine them calling up mm. the design company and the build company and being like, so we're sending through an idea and just imagine the facts coming through like, eh, 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 and it's coming through and they're looking at the little scribbles and they're like, is that, is that a, is that a bamboo cage inside a bamboo cage? And it's just like, I just feel bad for everyone involved apart from anyone that made money out of it. Good for them. Unless it's Vince. Like, yeah. it just, it's not right, is it? Yeah. Like, it's just very no. simple. You look at it, and it's not, you can look at something, and you know it's not right straight <laughs> yes. away. And you look at this, and something in your brain is like, there's like cogn- cognitive dissonance that you're like, no, no. Hit it on the nose with a newspaper. Bad dog. Don't do this. Start again. He didn't have hep C. That's good. That's nice. Yeah. There are a lot of times where there are things where you're like, this feels wrong, and I can't point to it or tell you why, and I know nothing about it, but I feel sick. I get a pit in my stomach looking at this, and it's not going to get better. I no know No matter it. how many times you make me watch this match. like, And they've made yeah. me watch it more Three than once. Well. Yeah, because they're just like, no, let's just keep going. And eventually they'll just accept it. I mean, how many, I mean, a lot, that's worked for a lot of people. Like, that's worked for a lot of people for a long time. But, like, I also feel like there's a 0% chance that we never see it again. Like, we'll absolutely see it again. As soon as Vince or anyone who's still around at that point has someone they can hang this around, they'll absolutely do it again. They brought it back with gender, and that was what, five years ago? Oh, God. I mean, that poor man has been through so much. They had chances to realize this didn't work. And here's going to be a weird analogy because it's something that happened to me right now. I just realized I'm dressed like a fucking pencil. Like while we are in, while we are doing this, there is a shot. You're recording it. You can find the place in the last five minutes where I realized I look like a goddamn number two. And it's like, I will never wear this outfit with this wig again. But it's so cute. It's so cute. But you do look like a pencil. Ticonderoga queen. We're all chasing. I was writing notes and I go, uh huh. And the pencil's up by my head. I'm like, that's what I look like. Uh, Like a thick pencil. Can I get you a green and yellow choker to wear so that you like it really completes the whole thing? A match so bad it made Danielle realize she's dressed as a pencil. I mean, and I have learned. Oh my god! And I just won't do this again. Why does why someone needs to go up to Vince and say, Vince, you're dressed like a pencil. I think you. I think we're done now. Jesus Christ. But has anyone ever said that to Vince about anything? Like, this is the issue, is it? Because as soon as you say that, you have to leave and go and work at AEW. Like, there's no choice. Like, 
it's just there are so many things where you're like they they could have done this different or they could have just not done this again but vince is the king of the double down it's like instead of retiring an idea because it's bad it's like let's just fucking keep doing it until they accept it and like you guys just general life advice don't accept it if someone if you don't like something and someone keeps trying to make you take it don't take it that's just like i just saved you a bunch (laughs) of money in therapy like no and if they tell you that you do like it and that you're wrong and that it was your idea in the first place that's gaslighting so do not allow vince mcmahon to gaslight you into thinking you liked the punjabi prison match at any point in your life because you because you didn't you didn't and this this is programmed into us at a very young age Uh, you know there's a little book by Dr. Seuss called Green Eggs and Ham, where all the time, all the time, the 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 voice of the book is like, I don't want this. I don't want, you can, boat, goat, train, plane, doesn't matter. Sam, I am, <laughs> fuck off with the green eggs and ham. I'm not hungry. Not hungry for that. It looks gross. And then he's like, no, keep, come on. Well, I'm going to cook up every possible scenario. I've, I'm not going to... I, I'm not going to take no for an answer, like a sales, like a salesperson. And then <laughs> he's, he's always be closing <laughs> green eggs and ham. That's, that's well. Here's the great, the great lie of that book, that that pushes people, is that when the narrator tries the green eggs and ham, the narrator loves it. Like, and then all of a sudden it changes their tune. Like, I want to believe that it's a story about opening your mind to new experiences, but with the current Dr. Zeus climate, I'm like, motherfucker, teaching us to accept gaslighting from such an early age, such an early age. Ted, you bastard. Like, I'm not having it. Also, green eggs, that it just it sounds, sounds like repulsive, a doesn't it? I'm not, I'm not doing it. Yeah, if someone tries to give you green eggs, like, do it for your stomach's sake. Don't do it. Green eggs and ham in the Punjabi prison. This is the I most mean. Titans and Fights conversation we've I will, ever had. This is us. This is us in our peak. I will not watch a Punjabi prison match. I will not watch the match in a house. I will not watch the match with a house. With a mouse. I will not watch it, Sam I am. I will not watch this year's SummerSlam. If you've got any thoughts on the Punjabi prison match, let us know about it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Discord. When we come back, Julian has an interview with author Scarlett Harris about her new book, A Diva Was a Female Version of a Wrestler. That's up next on Tyson Fights. Hey, it's John Moe. And look, these are challenging times for our mental and emotional health. I get it. That's why I'm so excited for my new podcast, Depression Mode. We're tackling depression, anxiety, trauma, stress, the kinds of things that are just super common but don't get talked about nearly enough. Conversations that are illuminating, honest, and sometimes pretty funny with folks like Patton Oswalt, Kelsey Dara, and Open Mike Eagle. I have this public-facing self, and then I have my emotional self that tends to stay hidden. It was about finding a way to communicate to somebody that, like, there's terrible sh** going on back here. Plus psychiatrists, psychologists, and all kinds of folks. On Depression Mode, we're working together, learning, helping each other out. We're a team. Join our team. Depression Mode for maximum fun, wherever you get your podcasts. Are you feeling elevated levels of anxiety? Do you quake uncontrollably, even thinking about watching cable news? Do you have disturbing nightmares, only to realize it's two in the afternoon and you're up? If you've experienced one or more of these symptoms, you may have FNO, news overload. Fortunately, there's treatment. Hi, I'm Dave Holmes, host of Troubled Waters. 
Troubled Waters helps fight FNO. That's because Troubled Waters stimulates your joy zone. On Troubled Waters, two comedians will battle one another for pop culture supremacy. So join me, Dave Holmes, for two, two, two doses of Troubled Waters a month. The cure for your news overload. Available on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Tights and Fights. I'm Julian Burrell, stepping into the hosting chair for this conversation. Women's wrestling in WWE has come a long way. It seems like the underwear matches of the 90s and 2000s have been abandoned in favor of consistent showcases on weekly television and a WrestleMania main event just a few years ago. But despite that, it seems like we're a long way from where the division should be. And whatever progress has been made is more complicated than WWE's PR machine would like us to believe. To help break down all of that, I've invited on Scarlett Harris. Her new book is entitled A Diva Was a Female Version of a Wrestler, and in it, she analyzes WWE's sordid history with women's wrestling and the company's attempts to move past all the problems that they helped create. Scarlett, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. I always like talking about this. Uh, how did you first get into wrestling? So I first got into wrestling at a friend's house after school, as you do. Um, mm-hmm. I was 13. Um, she was tape trading with her neighbors and I was like, oh, cool. What's this? Um, and we watched, you know, some episodes of SmackDown. I think it was, it was just after WrestleMania 17. Um, and so she would get the tapes like, you know, a week later and then pass them on to me. And it was like two weeks later. And I'm like, wait, hang on a minute. I have cable TV. Why am I relying on your tapes when I can just watch it uh, at home? (laughs) And then of course, like everyone dropped off and I was like the only one left standing and uh 20 years later I'm still yeah. here <laughs> it's like those people that believe in santa claus as they get older it's like <laughs> oh yeah somebody still believes from the childhood group you know <laughs> right and do you remember who some of your favorites were at the time yeah so my favorite was triple h um you know <laughs> do with that what you will uh, <laughs> <laughs> look he was really like back in the day people forget how evil and how cool evil hunter was like at his peak like it was just I still don't think there are that many people that reached his level of evil. Like, even today, it's just, you know, so yeah. no shame here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he was my favorite. And then, like, the Hardy Boys, Lita, mm-hmm. Chris Jericho, etc. So, at what point did you kind of, like... Because I always say that, like, I, I didn't really realize that, oh, there's, like, it's kind of weird the way that they treat black people on WWE. It's kind of weird the way that, like, women are never given much of a chance to do anything on WWE. Is that something that you just kind of developed on your own or was it because you saw other people expressing it and be like, wait a minute, yeah, that's kind of bullshit, but how did it happen for you? I think I very much bought into the gospel according to WWE. I didn't really think there was anything wrong with it as sure. I was watching it. Like, so it's pretty like miraculous that I've able, like that it's been a complete 180 and now I'm like, WWE is shit and here's a whole book like of the ways that it's like very problematic um so I don't like it it wouldn't have been until I came back to wrestling so I took a break from wrestling from about 2010 to about 2013-14 and that was I write in the book that was when I had like my feminist awakening um not Mm -hmm. that I like didn't have feminist values before that but I just you know started reading a lot of feminist blogs and stuff online um and I was able to kind of like identify with that 
you know, thought process and be like, oh, okay, like the things that I think are like feminist values. And so then coming back to wrestling, like through that lens was when I was like, this is fucked. Um, <laughs> and, and everything that I had consumed, like up until that point was completely fucked. Me coming back to it coincided with the women's evolution. So it was kind of that twin evolution for me, like with my feminist values and then like WWE finally realizing that, oh, like, wait a minute, the way that we portrayed women for so long was actually not that good. And they are, you know, just as deserving of like a platform as like mm-hmm. the male wrestlers are. So they deserve to get the crappy storylines that the men get yeah. to, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Do you ever kind of like as you're kind of watching whatever WWE you're watching, are you also kind of like just thinking like like okay, there's still all these terrible things that are going on in this company and how much of that gets in the way of like just wanting to watch some wrestling? I mean, it's just, you know, we all know it's fun to just watch wrestling. Uh yeah, absolutely. I think that's like sort of the could be like the topic sentence of my book um (laughs) you know like obviously for anyone who's read it it's like the majority of it is quite negative um or you know looking at uh things that have happened in wwe that i find to be negative portrayals so yeah i think definitely there has to be some compartmentalization like otherwise i would not be still watching it like you have to be because if you consume WWE, there's so little to for, for any like progressive fans to grasp onto. You know, obviously it's different in other companies. Don't know how different, but you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I mean, let's. It's a crapshoot at best. It's it's like yeah. I'm, I'm. I think pro wrestling in general has to have an awakening and needs to like constantly push against these things. That it's because I mean WWE is at the top of it and they're the most successful one and. If you're looking at what most of these people are starting these companies for, it's to make money, and it's like they don't necessarily are like, well, what's the point if it doesn't make if it doesn't affect the bottom line? And you know, it's just that's kind of the thing that we've all, we, everybody I feel like has to grapple with as they're doing these types of things. So, yeah, yeah I totally exactly. feel you with all of that. With the women's evolution, what were you thinking the first time? I feel like Raw and SmackDown kind of kicked it off when they at least bring it uh, mainstream to WWE's cable audiences with bringing Charlotte up, bringing Sasha up, bringing Becky up all at the same time. Oh, look at Sasha! Here we go! The NXT champ will up to the Divas champ! And here we go! The Divas are loading! There's someone for the balance to go right now! The battle lines have been drawn! The revolution has begun! What were you thinking when you kind of saw the stars of NXT at the time who had kind of revitalized WWE's women's wrestling as far as the fans were concerned. What were you thinking as you saw them make their big showcase on Raw that night? That was like a Venn diagram of my interest as a perfect circle. Like it seemed like something that I'd been waiting for my whole life. Like I didn't, but I didn't know until it happened, you know? Yeah, I think there was just like something so special about that moment. It's hard to kind of put into words. Um Mm -hmm. And something that ended up being an interesting discussion point for like the women's wrestling evolution as a whole. So whether, you know, we're talking about um, the Divas era and what they did for the future of women's wrestling, whether they did anything, as some people would argue, versus, yeah, that new guard of um, serious, quote unquote, women wrestlers. Um, You know, I don't think... um, anyone had any idea at the time just what that moment would end up 
meaning and the conversations that it would bring about. Did you kind of also know that like, okay, here comes the rub with here comes Stephanie uh, talking about, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. We, we really did it. It was only eight months ago, I stood in the middle of the ring announcing the Divas Revolution. And that Divas Revolution has sparked an evolution. And going forward, starting this Sunday at WrestleMania, you will no longer be referred to as divas. You will simply be superstars. And at WrestleMania, we will also debut the symbol of that evolution, the WWE Women's Championship. <laughs> There's a whole chapter multiple chapters yeah. really in the book that I kind of try to grapple with that. I mean, obviously there's a chapter about Stephanie McMahon and tried to discuss like corporate feminism and like white feminism and things like that. And yeah, just how she's positioned herself to be, as people on the internet will say, the inventor of women's wrestling. As you said, her family is largely responsible for holding them down for so long to the point that we needed a women's wrestling evolution. Um, So, yeah, that was pretty gross. But I think that's what we've come to expect. Like any big moments, um, like the Women's Royal Rumble or, um, you know, the the co-main event of Brooklyn, NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 1, will have, you know, Stephanie will roll out to be on commentary or like announce it. And it's just like, shut up and... (laughs) Right. And I feel like that period of from like 2017 to like 2019 with that with that year's WrestleMania was kind of like this era of firsts when it came to WWE's women's wrestling. It's like, here comes the first Royal Rumble. Here comes the first Money in the Bank. Here comes the first women's main event. Despite all like, you know, that feeling of like, all right, of course, WWE has to put their like has to give their stamp of approval just to say like, we're the ones who made this happen, guys. Was there still like a primal part of you as a wrestling fan? Of just like, yeah, let's fucking go. This is great. Like, let's like let's let's see what the, let's see what happens, good or bad. I'm here for all of it. Yeah, I mean, there is because like I just want to see like women doing cool stuff, and because we've mm-hmm. like because we've been denied it for so long. Like, and yes, it was them doing the denying, but it's like you. I don't know if you can fully separate the two like to be excited as a women's wrestling fan and to be annoyed as a women's wrestling fan um, that there are so many firsts still now that we've exhausted a lot of the firsts it sort of feels like well we gave you a women's uh, a women's wrestling evolution we gave you a women's main event of wrestlemania what more do you want but it's like well we want a lot more thanks Mm -hmm. yeah i i remember and it's something that i've kind of felt Um, I don't necessarily even think that you can tie it to anything of like, even specifically of just the women's wrestling. I feel like you can tie it to a WWE's attitude about a lot of things. Like if WWE feels like we gave you something that we're going to replay over and over and over again and talk about constantly, now it's time for us to get back to the status quo. Like we gave, we threw you a bone and now we're going to do what our instincts have told us that we always should be doing. We, we did that. It worked. It was fine. Now we're going to, there's no reason we can't keep doing what we've always been doing from there. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, we gave you the women's main event of wrestling. Now we go back and like the, we just have men in the main event or we <laughs> gave you Kofi mania. Now we trot out like the same like white 
guys from 10 mm-hmm. years ago, like in order to challenge for the title, like who we got Randy Orton, Dolph Ziggler, yeah. like whoever, mm-hmm. like, it's like, come on. Like yeah. it's not 2010 or, mm-hmm. you know, not, not like that's, <laughs> you know, yeah. so far um, ago in the past. Like it's not, um, you know, Oh, but it feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, come on, like get with the program. Most of your audience is diverse, whether that's gender, race, sexuality, um, ability, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. come on, like cater yeah. to the people who are literally like screaming at you for it. You devote a lot of the time in the book to talking about Ronda Rousey. And Ronda Rousey coming to WWE, I feel like represented something very interesting where they felt like here's our quote-unquote crossover mainstream star. We can take this thing that's kind of been brewing over here and we can attach it to her and that'll push this even farther. The rumors are true! Ronda Rousey is here! So, like, when Ronda first came to WWE, do you remember how you felt seeing her, like, knowing that the implication was clearly that she was going to be a wrestler, like, full-time while she was there? Yeah, it's... I was pretty upset at that's no secret. Um, I already knew that she was a trash bag um, from her time in, like, UFC and the the heinous things that she said about, um, you know, transgender athletes and intimate partner violence and her misogynistic comments and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't very happy um, about that and I wasn't very happy about her whole run for all of the reasons. As you mentioned, that it was kind of like hitching the women's evolution to her wagon and that now that mm-hmm. she's gone, like it just sort of seems like it. they created the the women's evolution, like whatever that means, like from the marketing standpoint, to lure her into WWE, you could say. Yeah. Um, I know there are a lot of other aspects, but like Stephanie and others have said, like they've been very explicit about aligning the women's wrestling evolution with the women's sport evolution. And And the first name always came up with that. Exactly. Her first promo was Stephanie coming out and saying, was saying like, it's the women are everywhere. They're in tennis. They're in MMA. They're in this. I feel like when I saw that, I'm like, I think that was basically another thing for them to like when they were rolling out the money to tell her you can come here and work. I I feel like that was a direct thing where they were like, this is like, we're building it for you. It's ready for you, you know? Exactly. And, and we see now that she's gone, just how empty that whole thing was because there's been no evolution to. Yeah. Because apparently they think they can't sell it without her. Um, mm-hmm. there's been no additional women's main events of, of WrestleMania or much other pay-per-views. I mean, yeah, we just got done. <laughs> we just got done with a, uh, with a pay-per-view, uh, last week that didn't have a women's title match other than the women's tag team titles. Part of me just can't stop thinking like, do they really feel like the answer is to put it on the back burner versus... Let's see who we can give a chance to right now and kind of throw them in the water and see how the audience responds to it. I'm also wondering, despite all of that, Rhonda being who she is and Rhonda getting the treatment that she was in WWE, essentially abandoning its initiative once she left, do you still feel like 
it was worth it to see, you know, because a lot of things coincided with it at the time. We I don't know if Becky and Charlotte get the main event if it wasn't for Ronda. I almost wish that that pay-per-view was, that WrestleMania was just uh, Becky, and Charlotte, Becky and Charlotte at WrestleMania. That would have been more fun. But I don't know if all that stuff happens without them. So do you think it was worth it to at least have that and for us to be able to say it was a comet, we saw it and it happened and we'll keep trying to see if it, we can make it happen again or not. Oh, that's a hard question. Um, I'm asking the hard questions here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hard-hitting journalism. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, like, yes, because I want to see more women getting a spotlight. Um, but, yeah, I just wish they did it in a different way. Like, if and you were sort of saying, like, you know, whether they think it's because women's wrestling isn't viable or can't be marketed towards fans without Ronda. But it's like, well, you don't have fans currently, so why don't you start throwing some stuff at the wall and see what works? Mm -hmm. Um, Because you've got, like, the prime opportunity to experiment right now. Um, Mm -hmm. So maybe you do a women's pay-per-view and put it on, like, Peacock or whatever and see what other audiences you can bring in, like the um, Total Divas audience and the Glow audience and the Mm -hmm. mainstream audience that was brought to wrestling through the portrayal of women. Maybe you give women some cinematic matches, maybe even with the Royal Rumble. Like, that was a perfect opportunity to, like, do something different without fans. Yeah. Because the criticism was like, oh, Royal Rumble is such an is an event that is so like dependent on fans and like the reaction of who's coming next. Yeah, like why not just do something yeah. different? So that was me going off on a tangent, but um, <laughs> you know, let's get some new voices and some new ideas in the creative team mm-hmm. uh, because obviously any everyone you've got in there currently don't care about the representation of like women and minorities Mm. and that's the majority of your audience or at least half. Mm. So yeah, yeah, I just would like to see something completely different than what we're currently getting. Yeah. Which is the bare bones, Mm. bottom of the barrel stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also, one of the things like um, we've talked a lot about fans and fan responses to women wrestling and, and that's in pointing out the disparity and the equity between what women and, and men get in WWE. But one of the things um, that I always go back to is that when the uh, when Charlotte and uh, Sasha and Bailey and Becky were all like kind of coming into their own on NXT it didn't really take any sort of like special branding or initiative to get the fans behind them. It felt very like, like anybody else people were talking about like, Oh my, it's like, it's crazy how like the women are having such great matches. But like, generally speaking, I think people were just kind of like these, these people are really, really good. This is really cool. Like I want to see, like, I want to see them wrestle. They're getting, they're doing such great matches and they are part of this brand that's new and exciting and different that is something I'll give wrestling fans for a little bit is that they did kind of take this whole thing and put them on their shoulders and say, we want more of this without WWE immediately, like, you know, doing the whole capitalizing on it thing and just like turning it, making it like, no, it was our idea. You guys did what we told you you wanted to do. But Mm. like, that's something that I always go back to is like something that was actually pretty cool. Uh, I think you're right. Like as I sort of write it about throughout the book, like all of the meaningful 
things that have happened in recent years have been because of the fan response. So, you know, whether that's changing the name of the um, Muller Memorial Battle Royal, like that was fans mm. petitioning Snickers to yeah. maybe not name it after an alleged sex trafficker. <laughs> hey, I mean, I went out and bought a Snickers bar that afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> The power of capitalism, hey? Um, uh, you know, give divas a chance. Like even mm. what you were saying before with like the marketing machines um, surrounding Ronda Rousey and like as we presumably think or know, like the women's main event was probably supposed to be her versus Charlotte, right? They weren't counting on Becky to like create the, you know, whirlwind around her from the mm. fans. Right. And same with like, Naomi's return at the Royal Rumble last year and Mm -hmm. how she went viral on Twitter and stuff like the way we see it and the way they see it are just two polar opposites Mm -hmm. that yeah the marketing and the actuality are just two very different things that don't often coexist maybe they'll uh, perform a hit job on uh, Vince McMahon and then we'll be just fine afterwards now um Uh, just one last question that I have for you. Um, we all, I feel like, have some understanding that um, our complaints about WWE from uh, the menial of maybe let Cesaro get a WWE title run <laughs> at some point in his career to the serious, like, maybe let some of the women of color do some, like, reach for that tippy-top position that you seem to want to keep warm for people that are Charlotte and Ronda. Maybe mm-hmm. let some other people go at it. We all kind of know that those complaints are falling on the ears of Vince McMahon, despite all the other people that are involved creatively that have his ear and are trying to advocate and stump for different people to get a shot at different things. I think we all kind of are wondering, like, how much of how much things really can change until Vince McMahon dies. (laughs) Um, Not as morbid as that might be. So do you have any sort of like hope that you're going to see like things continue to incrementally move in a positive direction or do you think that wwe is essentially in a holding pattern until they have to deal with some real questions behind the scenes as to what the future of their them as a company is overall yeah i think it's both um as Mm -hmm. i sort of say in the book like it is a you know one step forward two steps back or the other way around, whatever it is, um, just kind of like a part and parcel of the fact that WWE is essentially catered to an audience of one. Any kind of forward movement or um, change to the status quo, yeah, would be because of those people like advocating for uh, like whoever their favorite wrestler is or whoever they think has the potential. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right until – um, that audience of one is expanded. I don't know how much change uh, can really come to WWE. Okay, maybe they'll, uh, you know, encourage him to take a vacation or something and just like make sure he loses the ticket or something. It's uh, <laughs> like, why does this say well, one now way? Would I would be the time. Trip. Sorry, Vince. <laughs> <laughs> um, Scarlett Harris, uh, her book is entitled A Diva Was a Female Version of a Wrestler. It's a really great read. Scarlett, thank you so much for joining me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me on. That does it for this episode of Tights and Fights. This week, your hosts were Lindsay Kelk and Danielle Radford, along with me, Hal Lublin. By the time you hear this, our producer, Julian Burrell, will be less than a week away from his second vaccination dose. Hooray! Don't forget to get yours when it's your turn. Senior producer at Maximum Fun is Laura Swisher. Mike Eagle is the voice behind her. 
Mike Eagle is the voice behind our theme music, so we're putting him over for that. Keep up with us all week long on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Discord. Links to all of those are in our show notes. And if you love what we do, share the love. Hit the five stars on Apple Podcasts. Share us with all your friends. Thank you so much to the Max Fun members who make this show possible. And for all of you out there who want to support the show and your bodies when it's cold, buy our t-shirt. We'll be back next week for more, you guessed it, wrestling. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.